this is everything I've ever wanted uh, as a as a man, as an adult, and you know, in, in this life, I wanted this woman. I wanted to have a, I wanted to marry her. I want to have children with her. I want to start a family. And here we are. It's all happening, and I'm having thoughts of shooting myself. Welcome to the Depression Files, where you'll hear interviews of men who have struggled with depression. We talk about everything related to mental health, from depression and other mental illnesses, to medication, to suicide awareness and prevention, to our current mental health system, and of course, to the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. I believe that sharing stories is one of the best ways to chip away at the stigma. I also believe that sharing stories helps to educate those who may know little about mental illnesses while giving hope to those who may be suffering. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. All right, welcome and good evening. Welcome to the Depression Files. I'm really excited tonight. We have David Soto Jr. on the air. David is an author, a podcaster, and a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant. So welcome to the show, David. Hey, Al, thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me on. I'm very excited to interview you. And before we even start, I'd like to say just thank you very much for your service. I really, really respect the guys who are doing the job. Well, uh, a lot of us don't actually (laughs) don't feel we need to be thanked. And so it's kind of it's just uh, something we chose to do as a job. And and it's it's just uh, one of the jobs that I managed to be able to keep over the years. So it's not, you know, uh, granted, we should probably just say uh, you're welcome, but it's kind of hard for some of us to, <laughs> to, to take that. A bit modest, it sounds. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess. I don't know. <clears throat> a lot of, you know, a lot of us feel um, uncomfortable about it. It's really hard. And sometimes you just kind of say, oh, no problem. Or sometimes we, uh, like for me, I like to say, well, what do you do? And then I say, thank you for your service because, you know, everybody's contributing yeah. uh, you know, in some way, I, I believe. So, oh, that's awesome. I really respect that. And at the same time, I think, you know, you're, you're risking your life and you're fighting for everybody in the States. So I, I think, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's really important. And, and I uh, admire and respect people who are doing time in the service. You, uh, you were in the Air Force, correct? Right. Does that mean you were a pilot? I don't want to just jump to that assumption. <laughs> that's uh, a, a very common assumption, and that's something that we joke about with each other. Is is actually no in the Air Force. So let's say, like, obviously there are uh, airplanes and jets, and there's there are pilots, and so the people who take care of the jets, you know, they're in the Air Force, the mechanics, and then the people who put fuel in it, and and then of course the pilots have to sleep somewhere. So the people who take care of the lodging and 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 like for me example, the air conditioners, right? Because that was my trade was heating and air, uh, heating and air conditioning. So uh, there's a big, you know, you can think of an Air Force base as like a a small city, and everything that's done on an Air Force base needs to be done by by airmen and, and not just the flying there's everything else uh you know there's people who have to serve food to us when we eat you know we eat three meals a day and so people have to serve food to us those are those are those are you know people in the air force too so there's a lot of jobs that are involved in those guys flying and um mine was you know fixing air conditioners right air conditioners in uh typically in living units or 
huge facilities, all different types? Yeah, all different types, including, you know, uh, you know, uh, the hospital, you know, the, the, the heating and cooling uh, chiller system in the hospital. And then all the and then if you get deployed, the heating and cooling system on, on a tent. So it just from 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 everything that including we even kept people comfortable and conditioned and we even kept equipment conditioned. So as time progressed in my career, we spent I spent more time uh, cooling equipment as as the electronics got uh, more and more advanced over the years, there were more and more computers being involved. And so I spent a lot of time not concerned about the people inside, but concerned about the the electronics inside and keeping them. And we're talking about deploying to uh, the Middle East. That's pretty important. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think of it here. I live in the Twin Cities. We have a uh, we just had a renovation in a school I work in. And the one and only room with with air conditioning is our computer lab. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. I can't imagine, like you said, going off to the Middle East in that extreme heat. And then your role of making sure that technology doesn't overheat is huge, critical right. role. It's critical. Yeah, it's very critical. And, it, it, you know, if if we don't I mean, there's a lot of people who 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 contribute to the pilots taking off and being in the air. But uh, I mean, I like to say or think that mine is pretty important because if we don't keep the equipment cool, Nothing happens. Nobody flies. Nothing's going to happen, you know, because it's all electronics. So, you know, the, the guys, the air traffic controllers, they need to, they're on a computer. It needs to be, it needs to not overheat, you know, and everything. So, you know, at first you think like, man, I don't get to fly. I don't get to carry a, carry a gun. I don't get to, I don't get to do any of these cool things. But, um, you know, over time you realize how important uh, our, you know, my job and everybody's job in the Air Force actually is. We all contribute. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, stressful? Was, that a, was it a stressful position to be in? Uh, you know, the deploying can be stressful in, in, in itself. And then, um, but you know what? When you do something for so long and, and you're, and you're kind of good at it, after a while, it, it just, it's second nature. And you just, you just, you know, it, and you kind of look, wait for those opportunities, you know, and I also did a little bit of time doing some law enforcement and you're so bored and all you do is training. And then once you're waiting for something to happen and when it happens, you, your train kicks in and, and, and you respond. And it's the same thing, even if you're just turning your inches and fixing air conditioners, like you wait for something to break, especially in a deployed situation. You're like, you wait, you wait, there's nothing to do. You can only wash so many air conditioners. You can only do so much preventive maintenance. You know, you you play a lot of dominoes, play a lot of cards, and then when something something breaks, you get the opportunity to go show off your skills and do your job. It's really kind of exhilarating. It's kind of fun. So I don't you know I don't know about stressful. There's stress in other way, other ways. You know, like being away from your family for so long and 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 not seeing children. You know, there's there's all kinds of things that you you know when you're deployed for six months to a year on a military installation, there's just things that you don't get to uh, experience, and that can be kind of stressful itself but as far as doing the job and and it being important uh i, I don't know i don't know you know once the guys get trained up and and out there they 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 thrive on it right how old were you when you entered the air force and and what was the reason behind it at the time <clears throat> well i was the reason behind it was i was kind of uh i want to improve my self-talk so i usually would say that i was kind of a dummy um but 
Yeah, I, I just re- realized now as an adult that I look back, like I, I did not have a good time. You know, I, th- I had some form of uh, learning disability, probably ADHD. I did not do well in school. Um, I just did not want to continue going to school. Um, so you know, I barely graduated high school and I just didn't think that college was an option for me. So I just always in the back of my mind thought, you know, maybe I'll go in the military. And I was talking to, you know, somebody else in my school joined the Air Force and I had met the Air Force recruiter and I was talking to Army. My little brother, believe it or not, my younger brother had joined a year before me. He joined Army. So I knew the Army recruiter, too. And it was a history teacher that said that was in the Air Force during Vietnam. And he says, the Air Force treats you better and you get better looking uniforms. So I said, OK, I'll join the Air Force. And that was it. All right. You, were you 18 at the time? No, I was still in high school, so I was 17. Holy smoke, 17. Yeah, I had to have my parents uh, sign uh, like a permission. Like they had to sign a contract because I'm not legally old enough to sign a contract. Right. My, 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 my parents had to sign for me. So I enlisted and I finished school and then I still had what's called a delayed enlistment program. So I still had like six months before I could actually, you know, go to go to a basic training and boot camp. And so I ended up going right before uh, Christmas. So I graduated in, in May or 1992, then screwed off for the next six, seven months, and then uh, then left at the age of 18. By, then, by the time I left, I was 18. Okay. And did you, you had to leave home right away? Were you still in the same state? Uh, yeah, I left, I left home uh, right away. It's kind of a funny story. My dad's like, well, I'll see you later. And he just leave the keys in the ashtray. So I drove, our, you know, my dad's one of the dad, my dad's car, because uh, he let me uh, drive his car. Uh, in d- during that time, we had an extra, and I drove it to the bus station, put the keys in the ashtray, and got on the bus and left. And it was essentially on my way to San Antonio, Texas, from a small town of Missouri. And that was just that was me. That was me leaving home basically forever. Oh my god! Was goodness. I drove myself to the bus station and and got on the bus and and that was it. No, Ed- there was no. Did you have a good relationship with your folks? Um, at the time, I was just living with my dad and my stepmom, and we had a decent relationship. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like, oh, I can't wait to get away. Um, well, I, I just, I don't know. Um, no, I just, I, I, I'd say, yeah, we had a pretty good relationship, especially, you know, me and my father had a pretty good relationship. Um, and it wasn't like, um, you know, get the hell out of my house type of situation. It wasn't like I'm ready to get the hell out of here type of situation, though I was a little bit, but it was like, I'm ready to move on. You know, I want to, don't want to live at home. I want to move on with my life. I want to join and be in the military and be out on my own. But it was really just like, you know, sometimes there's those situations where maybe fathers aren't as close. Uh, I don't know what my dad was going through. You know, uh, he was working, he was commuting, probably a 90 minute commute a day one way and stuff. So I know that. And I left on, I left on during the week, middle of the week. So I don't know why he couldn't, obviously I, I remember it. So it did have an impact, but I don't, I don't know exactly why he didn't think, uh, to take me to the bus stop. (laughs) Right. Is your dad still around and do you guys still communicate? Uh, yeah, yeah, he is around and we, uh, yeah, I kind of recently kind of moved back to Missouri for a pretty awesome reason that I'm sure we'll probably get into, but, uh, that's where my dad is. This is where my dad lives. So I've seen him a few times and, um, we are 
we are huh, we are not at our best time right now. We've had we've had a really good relationship throughout uh, most of my adult life, but we're not definitely not at a good time uh, right now. But okay. you know, he's still my dad, and I still love him, and I still see him. Yeah. Well, I hope you're able to work through that. Yeah, I'm, we're, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Yeah. So I know um, one of the one of the things I read about you was that uh, after the military, you ended up uh, traveling, living in a van for about two years. And one of the things that struck me was that you wrote that it it gave you a lot of time to look at yourself, and you realized that something wasn't right. What what were you getting at? thinking that something wasn't right well the, and, and the, i'd love to hear more about the van the whole living in a van thing actually well i i the reason and so i have probably i have the manuscript written it just need yeah i need to go through it and do some fine tuning but uh you know the thought is like all this freedom and travel and fun you're gonna have in a van uh simplicity of it and you know, van van life has its own hashtag, hashtag van life, and it just there were all these kind of uh, there was you know delusions of of this great life. I was going to go live on the road and just have a great time and be retired from the military and could finally uh, you know take part in some uh, some recreational uh, drug use if I wanted to. Uh, and so I just anticipated all this type, all this you know all the sights and just the freedom and, and hiking and, 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 and fishing and just doing whatever I wanted. And, but the subtitle of the, of the book was going to be an introspective journey, or it's going to be called an unexpected journey because I didn't realize what was going to happen. And, and when you don't have TV and internet and like coffee shops to go to or friends to hang out with, and uh, you just, spent a lot of time uh, alone and, and by yourself. And uh, I did up getting a dog to help me get through some of those lonely times. But he's like, there's nothing else to do. There's no escape. And uh, there's no escape from yourself, And which is what a lot of travelers want to do. Uh, what, I, what I've learned is like, I was like, oh, I'm such a good traveler. I'm, I'm a traveler. I love traveling. And I find that a lot of people, I'm not going to say all of them, but I think that a lot of us, that love traveling or trying to run away from something. Mm. And when I thought I was, you know, going to do it, just running away, um, when you're out in a desert, you know, and, and the sun is setting and there's nothing for you to do except lay there and maybe read, you really, all these voices that you've been kind of running from your whole life kind of are there and there's no place to go and you got to kind of face your demons. And, and I found myself doing that a lot. And, one thing that happened that kind of got me really thinking was I thought I had met someone and we, we reunited in Mexico and we were like going to start this life. And we really jumped into a relationship that's super, super fast, which is a sign of, uh, of, uh, all kinds of lists, all kinds of things <laughs> actually. But so we jumped into this relationship and we, I, I parked my van at my cousin's house and I bought a bus ticket and we went, I went to Mexico and started this relationship with this woman and her behavior was was uh familiar all right and so i started to i started to see myself in these scenarios where i had put others other people other women in uh in my past so 
this in this case the roles were reverse and so the things that she was doing to, doing to me and her insecurities and her lashing out and and all these things and and i started to experience and i'm like is this what i have been doing to to people or you know to women my whole life is is this what's been going on um i found myself i said for the first time in my life like i'm afraid to answer your question because i don't want to uh, i'm afraid of what will happen to me if i don't answer it right and then when I said that to to her, and I was, and it took me a while, and it said in like I've heard that before, I've heard people say that to me, and then now I know what I put them through, and, then, and now I can see what's that, that there's something I can't see what's wrong, but I can identify that there's something going on here. So what you know that relationship ended pretty quick. Uh, I was kind of stuck in Mexico because I had rented an apartment, so I was stuck there for a while. And started doing some reading and realized that I needed some help. And I, w I hurried back to the States and uh, set myself up with, uh, with um, the VA in Colorado Springs and started to, to a long process. I started a long process of getting help. What, uh, what was it about being in Mexico? So I know you talked about like you could almost see what you had done in your past to women by how she was treating you. But that seems like a far stretch to then say, I went to the VA to get help. Like, were there other things going on that that were really alarming to you that made you realize you really needed help? Uh, man, you really dig in. You really see <laughs> some uh, stuff behind. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so, I... Uh, one, so... Everything that this woman was, I could tell that I was. So, you know, her, the mood swings, the, the the mean, the kind of abusive language. And, and, and it just so happened that in this point in my life that I'm 40, over 40 years old and I'm uh, a lot more patient, a lot more mature. Like I had been doing work on myself because I've always known that I've had these problems and these issues. So I've kind of been doing a lot of self-help, which I don't know uh, – it, it didn't. It didn't do a very. Uh, it wasn't very helpful. But I have made small uh, progress. And um, what so types have, of issues? So it, you know, insecurity and like the mood swings, and then the the the, the verbal and, and 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 emotional abuse. Okay. And really, a lot of. A lot that comes with being insecure and not happy with yourself. Right. Um, and the, and I, I could see that. And so I knew that I had all of these things. You know, I've I got I, my my first marriage was at uh, I was 21, and it lasted for two years. And and that was the first time that I've ever like really, or she you know asked me to get some help, and I refused. And uh, like now here I am 20, 20 years later, I look, I look at that. And I'm like, man, I could, I feel bad for her that she, you know, she's, she knows it's out of her hands. She's asking me to get help and I refuse. And, uh, just so, kind of denial at the time you think? Yeah. Yeah. Denial for the next 20 years. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I would identify it and I'm like, yeah, I'll work on it and, and think that I'm getting better and then get in a relationship with another woman and all, everything would just come back and it's all, it's all back. And, um, so 
but what, what happened in Mexico was like I had had those experiences for 20 years. Um, the, to have it happen on me was eye opening. And then I did some digging and, and like, like, and I was, I definitely was going through some depression there. I was alone. I stayed away from booze and drugs. Um, and so I was just home I mean, at, at my apartment. You know, I'd go out for coffee and then I'd just be bored and walk around the city and, uh, you know, d- did some reading and was looking into uh, Asperger's, read a book about Asperger's. And, and, and that ident- I was able to identify that I, I don't have Asperger's, but I could see that there are people out there that have, you know, these mental health issues that have to that struggle through life. And that's what that, that was the first time I really kind of realized that there's there is a lot of us out there that are dealing through life and that could be something that I, you know, or, well, I didn't even know it was us yet. So I, I, by starting to read about mental health, I would started to realize that maybe something was actually wrong with me. Like, it's not just something that I can do myself. And here it is 20 years later and I've been trying to do it myself. And I, and, uh, I just was, was fed up and was ready to get some help. So you decided to take a trip, get to the VA and, what happened there? Did you just essentially walk up to a desk and say, "Hey, here I am, and and I need some help"? Yeah, it's kind of kind of what it was. And and by asking for you know in the process to get seen is is a long one. Uh, fortunately, I will give them credit uh, that if you say that you have mental health issues and you need you need help, they will do everything in their power to get you seen right away. Um, so, you know, if you just say, yeah, I want a general, I'm an established care, I want a general practitioner, like, okay, we'll set you up an appointment, are you available next month? But if you say that you, you know, they, if you have an emergency, it's a different situation. If you have mental health issues and you feel like you're going to you're gonna need some uh, to be seen by somebody or spoke to by somebody, they'll get you in as soon as possible. And that's essentially what I did. Uh, or I, I, I told them I wanted to see somebody, I, I did all the, you know, presented all the paperwork and documents that I needed to do to prove that I was a veteran and uh, got an appointment. And uh, I ended up getting an, an analysis and seeing a psychologist and, and the process took several months. And then I ended up with a diagnosis and um, I wasn't happy with it. I thought I had ADHD. And I scored off the charts for ADHD, but the psychologist had said I had other issues and that it wasn't, he doesn't, he couldn't attribute it all to ADHD and that he didn't think that that was it. And I was mad. I was furious. <laughs> what diagnosis did he give you? So, so it was, uh, they were all very general. And so that was kind of what pissed me off was they were very like broad and like he, he, as if he was afraid to get too specific to misdiagnose me, but it was like, I think general, uh, general anxiety disorder, maybe. Yeah. It, not anxiety disorder, but general, uh, trauma, tr- general trauma disorder. Okay. Um, and then, uh, borderline alcoholism and then, uh, minor or minor depression. Right. And what was it about that that made you so angry? That I knew all that myself, and I didn't have to go through, you know, <laughs> I didn't have to take any tests or, or years of training to, to do that. And it was very frustrating to get this very 
generic uh, diagnosis. And then once I took it to the psychiatrist, he's like, oh, well, they say you don't have ADHD, so we're not going to give you any meds or anything. And I was like, okay. And then and that took months. And so I'm, 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 you know, from the time that I was in, in Mexico and decided that the time that I got back to the States and was in Arizona for a while and then drove all the way to Colorado Springs where I could stay with a friend so that I could establish care at that VA, um, months had gone by. And I'm like, you're, you're kidding me. Like, I've gone through all these months and you know, trying to get some care and you're telling me what I already know. You know, I already know to lay off the booze. You know, I, I, already, <laughs> I already try. I already know that I'm, 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 I'm kind of an alcoholic because I can't. You know, I, I, I can go, you know, days without it. But when I do open a beer, they're not, they don't stop. And right. so, so I was just frustrated and, and I, I thought there was no, no hope. And I really didn't know uh, what to do. And I, I tried to pull myself out of it. Really? Yeah. You, well, you started seeing the psych, a psychologist and for some talk therapy. No, the okay. psychologist. I was I was angry. I was mad at the psychologist. I didn't want to see him ever again. <laughs> okay. Uh, the the but he had recommended counseling with a counselor, and that's where I I kind of shy away. And because I first had seen a, a counselor at the VA when I was still living in Missouri, and that was a bad experience. And I don't know if it has to do with the VA or if it's just about counselor, but I just sometimes it makes me wonder who. Like I've always thought, this is like this is VA a stepping stone for people, is mm-hmm. that they they can get their foot in the door and then move on to you know bigger and better things. So is the V is the VA going to be full of beginners or full of people new to the field or, and I just the first time the the counselor. I remember talking to him and he asked me questions and I remember him laughing <laughs> and I'm like, what's so funny? He's like, Oh, I just, this email is so funny. He was checking his email. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He was at, at his computer and I thought he was taking notes, but he wasn't. He clicked over on, he was reading his email and somebody sent him a joke and it was funny. And that, that, first of all, it's ridiculous that he's reading an email while seeing a client. And then it's even more ridiculous that he would let you know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I felt I felt the same way, and uh, that may have been the last time that I went there, and then that kind of made me gun shy from seeing counselors at the VA. Right. So I tried to think, you know, figure out a way to do it. I, I ended up doing, you know, reading more books and 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 kind of, I don't know, just and, and then ended up being just depressed for a, a while, and and so that's you when my... you really gave up on the VA then and just said screw this, and and didn't reach out for any other help. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that's exactly exactly right. And that that happened um that took place that that took place around 2016. Okay. And then about a year later I got a job and uh again my my it's easy for me to find work in heating and air because of the experience I have. So I got a job running uh, the 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 maintenance department for a casino and hotel in Colorado, and I had been years out of the field. Kind of, I was running my own company for a while, but you know when you run your own company, you're not necessarily in the field uh, doing the work. You're busy doing all the other stuff. Right. So when I got in the when I'm got in the field and I'm in, I have a bunch of uh, engineers that are, aren't skilled. And so I'm trying to show them I I'm doing the work and I'm trying to teach them how to do it. 
and I found myself like troubleshooting and looking at wires and stuff and really straining. And I'm like, what's going on? Like I am, you know, and the first thing I think is, is I have cancer, some sort of cancer, like at the worst case scenario, like I have eye cancer. Oh my God, I got to go to the VA. So I go back to the VA because I want to get to see what's wrong with my eyes. I think something's wrong with my eyes. And, um, so I go, there's one in Golden. So I'm still living in my van. But I parked my van in Golden, Colorado at a rock climbing gym. And there's a VA right there in Golden. So I go and I say, uh, yeah, something's wrong with my eyes. I don't, I don't, I don't know. She goes, is, well, there's another scenario where, or situation where I'm like, well, we can get you in in a month. I'm like, I have some issues going on right now. Like, well, we can, we can get a nurse to take a look at you. And so the nurse comes out and she gets my chart and she says, what's wrong? I go, something's wrong with my eyes. Things are getting blurry and stuff. And she says, how old are you? And I says, I'm 42. And she says, she says, have a seat. And she says, I'll be right back. And she goes to her like personal locker and uh, opens up her, digs out of her purse, uh, her reading glasses <laughs> and brings them to me and says, put these on. Or she goes, look, she says, look at this magazine. I'm looking at it. She goes, now put these on. And I put on these pink rimmed uh, 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 reading glasses and I'm cured. I'm like, oh my God, I can't. <laughs> That really, so, really cracks me up, and it reminds me that I went to the eye doctor first time in a, in ages, and I was exactly the same age, 42 at the time, and the eye doctor said, yep, you need readers. If you have 20-20 vision, essentially, at age 42, you will need readers. That's when you're getting and, and that's what, yeah. it, what had happened to me as well. That is funny. Yeah, it, it, and so... <laughs> But I, you, I, I, you did mention before this that depression was kind of creeping in while you had that time away when you left the VA um, because of the counselor. And what do you mean by depression creeping in? What what kind of symptoms were you having? Um, <clears throat> well, I I know that I broke down and 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 cried when I got to the parking lot after getting that diagnosis, and I, you know, I felt like there was. Uh, and then, and there was no hope. I felt, I felt like what's wrong with me, what's going on, why is this happening? You know, and, and I try to pull myself up. Uh, but for the next, um, year or so, I would just kind of go in and in and out. And for that summer where I was trying to get the, the help at the VA, I was actually staying with our old air force buddy. So for that entire summer, I had uh, like someone to come home to, and you know he came home from work. We uh, would have a couple beers, and we would I would make dinner, and we hung out, and then we would go fishing on the weekends. We did a lot of fishing. So for that entire summer, I was kind of like okay. Right. I did, a, but but once I said, all right, buddy, well I got to head out. I I don't want to overstay my welcome. So once I got back in the van and started sleeping in the van again that's when the alone time came and then everything came back and I would be up in the mountains and, and, um, well, m mostly I would be like in, in Boulder. I eventually made it to Boulder, Colorado, where it, people sleeping in their vans and cars was very common. The cost of living is so high that people love it there, but they end up having to live in their, in their cars and their vans. And so I lived kind of a normal life there. Um, and I tried to date and interact with, with, with people. And, and I would just have those afternoons where it was just, I was just so lonely and so sad. And, 
and couldn't figure out what was going on and and not um not being able to like get a date i felt like i like i you know at, at some at, this was the confusing part for me for a long time like at one point in my life i had a date every day of the week every night of the week i had a, i had a date and then uh for as i got older i i i kind of didn't want that i didn't want these these like meaningless uh you know encounters with 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 women uh but as a result of me staying away from that i got really lonely too and was wondering why you know i didn't want these 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 types of relationships or or meaningless relationships or that that had no depth that weren't going anywhere but at the the same time i felt lonely and was wondering if i couldn't why i couldn't get it. it was just a confusing it was really confusing for me at the time to try and figure out like you know, just added to depression. Like I can't even get a date. Nobody wants to. No, no, nobody wants to go out with me. Um, I'm. I, I don't fit in well with people, and people think I'm strange. It was just. Uh, I think it was, it's really easy to spiral down when when you're at a point like that, and to just continue to beat yourself up. And it sounds like you have the propensity to be tough on yourself as it is. And then when you're going through a rough patch like that, um, it. I I believe it's really easy to spiral down hard at those times. Yeah, it definitely keeps going. The the momentum, you know, it just snowballs. And and something like, you know, uh, my dog Rusty would chew on something in my van and, and just destroy it. And so here I am. I don't have a lot of possessions, and everything I do have is I I have for a reason is very important. And he was a rescue, and sometimes would 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 go into these these anxiety attacks and just chew the hell out of stuff inside the van and destroy it and i i would just get oh my and so frustrated and and i remember one instance i he had done something and i was so mad and i was yelling at him and then i looked over and saw some cute girls and they were giggling i'm like and, and i just everything to me was like nothing's going right and, and this just sucks everything sucks and i was i was feeling pretty low man pretty low so after that i know you mentioned the you went to concerned about your eyes. You figure out that the uh, pink uh, rimmed reading glasses helped you a lot. <laughs> so you so that kind of you know, and it's interesting. I don't know if this happens with a lot of men, but for me, when I was going through major depression, I definitely thought of different chronic serious illnesses that I had. At one point, I could have swore I had MS. And I start looking up MS, and I'm like, "Yep, yep, that that works for me. That's that's one of my symptoms." And and I I don't know if that's really common or not, but it's interesting. So so you go to the eye doctor, you find out that your eyes are all right. Take us from that point. So that it's probably like a year. It's like a year later from that that time where the the VA gives me this general diagnosis and. I'm at the I'm working at this job and I'm at the VA in Golden getting my eyes checked. While I'm there, I walk over to mental health and I say like, "Hey, I I I would like to establish care. I'd like to get some help. I think I have, you know, ADHD and la la la." And they're like, "Okay, no problem. Sign you up. Give me signed up. Give me an appointment." I I say I would like to get some counseling. So I, at this point, I'm like, "The hell with it. I'm at a different place." Uh, let me try again. It's not going to hurt. Not going to hurt to try again. And uh, so I got signed up with a counselor. 
They go, do you think you're going to need meds? I go, maybe I might need meds. Let me see the, the let me see the doctor too. And uh, the doctor looked at all. He had got all my records from Colorado Springs, and he looked at it and he was like, oh yeah, okay, definitely. You're like, oh, well, why didn't they do this? He goes, okay, well, here's your options. And he discussed some options for medication. And he says, if you want, what do you want to tackle first, the depression or the ADHD? And I'm like, depression. <laughs> I'm like, uh, the ADHD, like I swore up and down, um, that I had ADHD and, um, that that was the, the, the root of my problems. And, and I had even had a couple of instances with some friends where I, where we had been drinking and, and I was said some, you know, got awful rude stuff. And I, I thought that had to do with. ADHD and I wanted some med- medication. He goes, okay, well, we'll try this. And he put me on, uh, put me on Adderall and I did not re- see any difference. I don't really any notice anything about my focus or being more focused or, or concentration. I didn't notice that I didn't eat a lot and I was you know, kind of grateful for that. But, and then I went off of it said, oh, this isn't helping. And then I noticed irritability was shorter when I was off it, like I was slowed down when I was on Adderall, things were kind of slowed down. And so my reaction time was, wasn't as, as, as quick. So I, I got put back on it. Um, I'm not necessarily one to like to do, to, to take prescription drugs or, or anything. And I didn't, I would just put myself on and off of it because I didn't really know if it was doing anything except, uh, dealing controlling my irritability well if i was in the mountains fishing i had there was nothing that would irritate me so i wouldn't take it but that was i look at that now and now i see that that was me again still in denial like he's asking me do if i want meds for depression i'm like no i don't think i I don't think that's a concern i don't think depression is a concern i've always been able to get myself out of it and so just that alone right Uh, now that i see it now that i say it that I've always been able to get myself out of it. That means I've always had it. That right. means like, you know, I, it never crossed my mind. Like, oh, I've always been able to get out. It lasts a while, but then it goes away. Well, th- that just means that, you know, I got past a speed. Like, I, I still I had it. I've had it all this time. And like, like, you know, maybe if I'm if I'm an if if I say. I'm not addicted to uh, chewing tobacco because I always I can always quit it whenever I want. And I'm talking over a 20 year period course of time. That means right. I've that means I've never really quit it. That means I stopped it temporarily. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> sure, I can quit. I've quit 20 times. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> and so the same thing. Same thing. Like in and now, like then I said it to the doctor, and I didn't realize how to say it. But but now that I look at it, like if I can if I say like oh I always got myself out of it then that means I've had it that whole time and I've really never, uh, you know, I've ignored it or, or never really thought that it was something that I needed to address. Right. Um, what, what made you so adamant for so long that you had ADHD? Uh, because if, if you, well, for me to, to read about it, one of the books that I read in Mexico was driven from distraction and, it lists like a, a hundred and twenty symptoms of or, of uh, ADHD, and one of the symptoms is: Are you laughing right now? That you how at how many of these that you have, you know? And I was like, you know. So he goes, 
you know, in he's like, oh, symptom number number 76. Did you notice that there was no symptom number 75? And like, it just goes on and on. And like, it's like a magic trick of how he like was able to list all these things that I, all these symptoms that I have. Right. And then the, the fact that, you know, people always, it's just, I spent a lot of time in coffee shops reading and writing and I would always share like, oh, you know, having coffee, you know, to take a picture of my latte or whatever. And people always say stuff like, how do you, how can you drink coffee at night? Doesn't that disturb your sleep? And I'm like, no, it never does. Like why? And I learned that that's a sign of ADHD, that the stimulants actually calm you down. And caffeine has never had an effect on me uh, at night. And just, uh, it was probably in this, one of the things that uh, the doctor says in that book is not to diagnose, not to self-diagnose, which is exactly what I did. Yeah, right. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> yeah. Based on based on everything that I read, I'm like, yeah, I have ADHD. And, you know, in especially when you go back to school and all the problems I had I had with school. Right. Um uh I just it it all made sense and and if I were to get diagnosed with it, I would have, it would have felt like an amazing weight to be lifted off my shoulder to finally say, "Oh, that's what's wrong." Right. ADHD. Well, it sounds uh, like that's what you were hoping for with the VA too. Like, tell me something big that I have. Like, let me know what I have. And they weren't able to really do that at least the first time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So the doctor's talking to you and it sounds like he gives you an option. Do you want to deal with the ADHD? Do you want to deal with the depression? Do you want medications? So tell us more about that appointment and, and how, how you walked out of there. Well, no, again, uh, after, self-diagnosing uh i i knew that i had adhd whether i was right or wrong i was probably wrong i i still I you still also may... knew you were going blind right you're right you're right <laughs> i yeah I, I, I had eye eye cancer that's right eye cancer <laughs> so uh and so i said no no let's let's do some uh let's i said let's do so let's take care of the adhd that's really really need the help with I've been able to get myself out of depression. You know, I can handle myself with some, you know, meditation and yoga. And so I think the job I had was was distracting me for the longest time uh, or for, for a while I had it. So while I had that job, I was I was um, kind of distracted because it took up a lot of my days. It was a lot of responsibility, uh, but I ended up quitting. And once I quit, I ended up going uh back to Boulder and back to my routine of fishing every day and, and just enjoying my life. And then having all, having that downtime again and that downtime in the afternoons for me was, was just uh, the hardest because it just had me again, alone with my thoughts and thinking and, and like the depression, you know, came back and I was like, Oh, and uh, then I was being super irritable, especially Boulder, Colorado is the home of the worst drivers and the worst parkers, you know, and for somebody who lives in their van and spends all that time, it's, 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 you, it's really, it's not like I drive to work and then I don't get in my van until I go home from work. I was in it all day long. And so the things that you see when, when you spend so much time in a, in a vehicle like that, um, I was just really frustrated and lashing out at people on the road in Boulder. And so I knew that something was going on. And that's when I went back to get the meds and see if maybe it would help, which it did. Uh, Specifically but I for depression then? 
Well, no, I went back to get the meds to help me with my uh, irritability. So I told the doctor, like, I don't know if this is helping with my concentration, but it helps with my irritability. And, you know, what what the doctor I see now says, uh, she says irritability is depression uh, focused out. Right. Where where's the sadness and the and the sadness is in, in you know, the the, the the loneliness and sadness and emotional part is is um, focused in depression, focused inward irritability and lashing out is depression uh, focused outward. And so I was like, oh, wow. And so that's what my but my current doctor said the doctor I told at the Golden was like, oh, well, yeah, here, we'll put you back on that or all then. And he may have brought up, you know, you sure you don't want to, but he didn't, he did not like really encourage me to, to get help for depression. And, and he then, didn't, and he didn't attribute your irritability to it. It's interesting. Uh, there have been a couple of uh, articles I've read recently that talk about the little known symptom and, and it is anger specifically that. Um, oftentimes I think manifests in men with depression, uh, women too, but probably not as frequent. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense because anger has been like one of the issues that I've had for a long time. (laughs) Well, you've talked about it quite a bit in this interview and I was curious when they came up with your diagnosis and nobody really mentioned the need for anger management or anything. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The anger management might have came up uh, many years ago, uh, 20 years, you know, during my first uh, marriage, it may have came up and I, of course, I, I ignored it. Right, right. Um, but, but what uh, ended up happening with that doctor, he's like, I- I'm moving to somewhere else and I have a son with special needs and I can't, I can only move to certain locations or we need to get to this hospital. So he need, so that doctor left and I am, I think I ended up stopped going to the VA, uh, the counselor there. I only had a couple of sessions with him and I was like, this, this is not a good experience. <laughs> I had another bad experience with another counselor at the oh, VA and I oh. just was like, I was like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this. So I ended up stopping everything. I held on to the to the meds, and but I just wasn't, I was just at a at a standstill again, and I ended up going to the mountains uh, to uh, to, oh well, it was my forty forty fourth birthday. I went to the, my friend's cabin. We went fishing that weekend, and then him and another friend had to go back because they are from Colorado Springs, and they had to go back to work. So on Sunday, they left. Um, Sunday was my 44th birthday, so I spent my birthday by myself um, up in the mountains in a cabin, and it was I was really low. I was really um, not feeling like I was worth a crap uh, spending my birthday by myself. The good news is I got a lot of writing done. And I finished, I finished a book. Uh, but one of the things that happened while I was up there is I dreamt of a woman that I have been uh, essentially in love with and separated from for about 13 years. Uh, she is one of the women in my life that I basically treated poorly and she walked away. And it's, it's been 13 years and I, I tried to move on. And get past it and, and think of like how I screwed up and 
things were because you know I've been in several relationships since uh, we broke up and it always it always ends up like uh, this is not the same this is not going to work uh, she was basically the one in the back of my mind for the longest time and I had wrote an article somebody had come to me one day and we I, we, we met each other at the gym uh, the, this guy and I and were just BSing and talking about rock climbing and everything else and he's like oh well I'm trying not to drink too much. I go, oh, me too. He goes, yeah, I just, you know, broke up with a girl and it's kind of, I, I don't know what to do. And I was, I don't want to get all super, become a drunk over it. I'm like, well, that, that makes good sense. He goes, yeah, I really, really love this woman and I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do about it because she doesn't, she broke up with me and I, I still think she's the one. I'm like, well, I wish I had some advice for you, but I've had the same thing happen to me and it just doesn't go away. It hasn't, it's still there. He goes, how long has it been? I go, it's been 10 years. He's like, oh, my God, it's not what I wanted to hear. I'm like, well, it's the truth. Well, and so when I had this dream about her, I woke up and I was like, God, son of a gun again. I'm like, what is wrong? I am here. I'm celebrating my birthday by myself and I'm having a dream about this woman who doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And that I've been pining away for for 13 years and trying to get over and thought that I did. Right. I wrote this article that was, you know, me getting over her and I thought it was. I was over and then here I am and I had another dream about her. Uh, fast forward to a week later, I'm back in Boulder, back to civilization and I get a message and it's her and she's reached out to me and this is the first time I've heard from her in a couple of years. And so essentially, you know, I just told you that I had a dream about her. This is my dream girl. She's finally reached out to me and we finally reconnect after 13 years. Wow. She just kind of, did she send you an email or was it a phone call? It was a Facebook message. Okay. Yeah. And she was like, happy birthday. Happy birthday, old man. I was just thinking about you. I'm like, hey, thanks a lot. Good to hear from you. Uh, hope to hear back from you in another two years. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, how about two minutes? And she responded right away. And we, we reconnected over, uh, you know, Facebook and then texting and then phone calls. And then I'm just going to tell you where we are now is uh engaged hey fantastic congratulations uh, thanks thanks and um we are expecting our son here uh, april 7th fantastic that's huge news yeah it's huge news and it's great and so my point of telling you all this is that everything is awesome like my life like the girl in my dreams and we're having a child and we're, we're we live together and we're we're getting married and it's everything that I've ever wanted. And all of a sudden, like depression is the worst it's ever been. Like it's, it's bad. And, and I come back and, and, and here's the thing is I don't want this to do this behavior. I don't want to act this way that drove this woman away from me the first time. Like, I do not want to make this mistake again. So uh, when, when did you say the depression came back? Like right when you got together, you mean? Uh, well, the depression was probably there. Like I, I talked, like I was still kind of like having my like the same week, right? I told you, like I was alone for my birthday, yeah. and that was that was sad and depressing. So I still had, right. I was I was depressed. Um, but when I got here, I was of course excited to see her, and and we had a great time, and we conceived our son right away. Okay, um, and that that started some. That's some hormonal and emotional changes with her. Right. And 
I I was not able to handle it so well, and I just was thinking, oh my God, oh, this is a mistake. We we weren't supposed to, you know, this wasn't supposed to happen. I wait a minute, this is supposed to happen. This is why I've always believed it is. And I just started questioning things, and then I just started getting really sad and really my depression. Like uh, I would see things that would make me cry, <laughs> make me cry. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's really, it's, I want to be super honest and super uh, transparent, but it's really hard for me to even say that out loud because, you know, I'm, you know, currently like 270 pounds, I'm six foot seven, 270 pounds. I always been this big guy, military football player, all this stuff. And to openly admit that I, uh, I was just, you know, crying because of there's something between her and I, whether it was a joyful, emotional, uh, happy moment or, or an anger, one in anger, or if it was just something on TV, um, right. moments on TV just had me crying and, uh, she couldn't understand it. And one of the, she was very unempathetic for the longest time. And I, that, that was upsetting to me. Everything upset me. How um, long ago was this about where you were going through all this? Just a couple months, just a couple oh, months ago. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So it was all just hard and, and, and we're, I'm super edgy and I'm super sensitive and, and, and Did you I'm start seeing a therapist at all. Well, what ended up happening was I called the, uh, I called the VA. I actually called the VA. I called the, uh, veterans hotline. Uh, because I had thoughts of it. Basically, I just had these visions of me shooting myself and um, they wouldn't go away. And that was one of the things like uh, probably when you asked me before, I didn't think of it until just now. But what what did I when I when I say I was depressed? What did I what, what, what was I experiencing? That's when I, I just kind of left that out. But those like suicidal visions would come to my head. And that was depressing. Mm. That would make, make things worse. Like, I don't want this. Like, this is not what I want. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to die. I don't want to shoot myself. I don't want to uh, do any of these things. But they kept coming uh, to mind. And I've, and whereas it's only happened once or twice or three times in several years, it started happening uh, more and more when I was with. Uh, my fiance when we, we re reunited and it just didn't make sense. Like, how am I having, like, this is everything I've ever wanted uh, as a, as a man, as an adult. And, you know, in, in this life, I wanted this woman, I wanted to have, a, I wanted to marry her. I want to have children with her. I want to start a family. And here we are, it's all happening. And I'm having thoughts of, of shooting myself and just driving somewhere in my van and shooting myself. And, and so what ended up happening is like, I know it, that's, that's scary to see that. And, I, I, and especially if it's not something that I want, like, and especially if I have everything in life that I want right now, um, everything that I've, I've literally dreamt about, I have, and I'm seeing myself shooting myself in the head. And it was, it was scary. And, and it's I, scary. I would imagine confusing as hell too, right? You just said like, you're finally back with this woman you've been dreaming about, gonna have a baby start a family engaged yet you can't get these thoughts they keep flying into your head and i know that feeling like i experienced that where i would push that thought away and then there it was again and it's scary 
Yeah, that's it's. There's no. I don't know of any other word that best describes it. It's just scary. Like I don't want. I don't want this. It's not. It's the furthest thing. Well, not the first thing from mind, but it's. It's the. It's. It's not what I want, and that's for sure. Did and you so, share with your fiance that you were having those thoughts? I probably scared to tell her. I was. I was, and I was scared to. Uh, like I may have mentioned it once before, but she may have thought that it was a, a tactic to get uh, attention or drama or, or drama, um, not knowing. I was afraid to because I didn't want her to think that it was some that I was uh, trying to control her or manipulate her by telling her that. Right. And so I I told her just once that that was going and, and, and it was it was probably months before that it actually got bad and worse and they started happening more and more. And, and, um, so it was, it was hard because it was her first trimester and, and we joke around, uh, her and I and say that we don't talk about the first trimester, uh, because of the hormonal reactions she was having to everything. It was, it was hard to, to, to deal with depression in much less, deal with her what she called uh, PMS times 10 right so it, it was just it, everything was piling up and it was hard and so when I found myself on you know on, with the VA uh, the veterans crisis hotline and then they you know they walked me through some stuff and told me to get you know told me that I should get to the VA uh, which I I ended up going and it that was just that was an experience like because I was just down. Like I was just wanting, I felt like a child mm. with my, with my hands up, my arms up, like somebody, somebody helped me. And, uh, luckily this time it, uh, it worked and I got help right away. And I got the, you know, I, I went in, I saw somebody They're like, okay, we got to recommend you, you know, you know referral, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. I made some phone calls and like, yeah, as soon as we can get you in is, is, you know, again, the same situation. It may have been a month and I'm like, there's no way, like I need help right now. And she was like, well, people cancel all the time. If somebody cancels, I'm going to, you're going to be the first one on my list and I'll try to get you in. And I was like, okay, luckily for me, they called the next day and got me in that very next day after that. And the doctor, uh, I talked to her and just told her everything and she wrote me a script and I feel that I'm lucky, although it took, you know, several years to get to this point with the VA, but I felt I was lucky in that uh, the medication and dosage that she put me on has made a drastic change in, in, in my life without, you know, I know that some people try med, it doesn't work and they got to try another one and try a different dosage and, but it, what she put me on and the dosage she put me on has changed uh my life entirely wow that's fantastic to hear yeah it's fantastic to experience and this all again was just just two months ago yeah yeah i'd say two, i'd say two two to three months ago that i've been on the meds and everything's been uh pretty dang good did they ever uh talk about doing more intensive therapy or inpatient or partial hospitalization. I don't know if the VA even has those options. Uh, 
she has recommended a uh, a counselor to me, which I'm supposed to initiate and start, and I haven't. But I, I, it's 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 on my list of things to do is to start getting you know getting counseling and, and seeing, you know I'm gonna try it out and and, and see, um, but I have gone back several times uh, uh, with the doctor, and she seems to be <laughs> keeping track of me and, and, and interested or you know not like the, the the you know not like the experience that I've had before. She actually. I can tell that she takes good notes because she's f- asked me follow-up questions, even though it's been a couple months. She'll still ask me follow-up questions uh, with regard to like, uh, have you been fishing yet or anything, you know? So whatever I tell her, she makes, she takes definitely takes good notes and it, it follows up with our next, uh, next uh, uh, appointment. Yeah. That's fantastic. Is she a psychiatrist then? Um, well, she's actually a nurse practitioner, so she's okay. Not even a, 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 I don't even know what to. Yeah, she might be a, a, possibly a psychiatric nurse practitioner. I think they can give okay uh, medication scripts. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, I would, I know you're doing great. Uh, I would highly recommend talk therapy again, you know, counselor or psychologist, if you have that opportunity and if she recommended it. And uh, to try to go into it with a good attitude. I think sometimes when you're in a really good place, you're able to get a lot of the hard work done, right? Mm -hmm. You're able to really reflect on your past relationships, your anger, dealing with this woman who you loved for so long and then she came back and then you went into a major depression, which was pretty confusing and scary, right? And now that you're doing well, I think it would be a great time to reach out. And if you get with the counselor who you don't like you don't click with then ask for a different counselor i think that's perfectly fine and i think it's important to to meet with a counselor that you do click with it's great that you're clicking with this person and she's got your trust now and she hooked you connected you with the the meds that worked because it sounds like you were at a a really low very very scary time yeah absolutely and and whereas i know people have to try and experiment um, with with different meds and different dosages i definitely feel like i got lucky and where i have to keep trying and messing around and and experimenting is with counselors so i'm definitely uh, on board and, and intent on going back yeah. and uh, and keep trying till i find somebody we, we are uh, we have been uh, going to couples counseling um cool and that's that's been a that was that's a, that's been a big help, and I definitely see where you can find somebody who works with you, and and you know you can that that clicks with you. It's definitely a possibility, and it's encouraged me to go back on and for some individual counseling. Oh, that's fantastic, and it's great to hear that your fiance is up for it too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and maybe you can get a recommendation from that therapist, you know, to see somebody individually. And, you know, it, it's kind of a bummer shopping around and telling your story over and over, but uh, it is well worth it when you find somebody you can click with and really dig in and, and trust them. So I would, again, just highly recommend it. But I'm, I'm really glad that you're in such a good place. you got a lot of great things to look forward to. Going to be a new daddy. That's going to be huge. Yeah, it's going to be great. And uh, as soon as I, we made the announcement, people – like people – that follow me and know that I'm a writer. Think they, the first thing they say is like, "You're never gonna run out of things to write about." <laughs> oh my goodness, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, awesome. So I want to hear. Uh, 
I know that uh, you've authored some books, and uh, and actually that reminds me, before I go any further, I want to tell you one thing that I, I haven't known you for long, and I am not a doctor. I want to emphasize that. But one thing that you might want to work on is your confidence and who you are, right? You seem incredibly modest. You don't want to acknowledge that, that it is a big deal to be in the U.S. Air Force. I read in one of your blogs that it's, it's tough to call yourself an author, yet you've published three books. Mm-hmm. You know, so and and I think I'm I'm the same way, and a lot of guys are, just kind of hard on yourself, right? And it's taken me a long time to get more comfortable with constructive criticism and and to know and learn and grow from it, rather than to to have it just crush me. Right. Um, so I think those are some things that would be good to talk about, because I can hear you already kind of discounting some incredible things you've done. And uh, and I get the feeling that you're really, really tough on yourself. At any rate, you are a published author. You blog, you podcast, and and I want to hear about it all. Well, I, I started off with, um, you know, part of my insecurities come from dealing with my weight, you know, since I was a kid. And so I started off my my kind of my writing career as a as a blogger about health and wellness and and I used to I, I used to blog and write about what, what what's called known as ancestral health and it's essentially like getting um, in touch with your roots as far as your diet and your your natural movement and 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 so I used to write and talk about things that kind of like for vanity purposes I always thought I wanted to lose weight and get in shape and when I did find these things that worked I started talking about it. I always was a personal trainer at one time. And so I kind of, everything kind of went together and years of accumulation of me trying to deal with my own weight issues and, and, and being a trainer. Um, I started writing and people started, you know, reading and, and, and interacting with me. Uh, that website, it still gets a you know, decent amount of hits and people still, uh, read those articles that I wrote, but that evolved into this program where I thought I was going to uh, create this online program and sell, you know, a bunch of copies and make a lot of money off it. But the content that I wrote for this program, I ended up putting into a book and publishing it. And that was my first book. And I was in like, you know, the, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And so just to take this, all this content that I had written, I put it together, I put it a book. That was my first book. And then next thing I know, because I put this out, like I know how to, now I know how to write books and publish them. And so I published my second book and my, and then my third and my fourth. And sometimes I don't give myself enough credit that I published four books, but, and I say that they're pretty thin and, uh, but well, you know, they're, you they're, are they're, an author who has published four books, and you ought to be able to say that with a lot of pride. Especially, yeah. you know, I it reminds me how you said how difficult school was for you. Yeah, you, you know, you're absolutely right, and that's that's definitely something, and that's what I, I hope to one day be able to say is like, you know, for those people who are out there, and I, I you know, it's funny that you identify like confidence issues that I may have because I find myself online encouraging others. Uh, but to hear that from you is like, uh, you know what, you're right. I, I definitely, you know, for me to say something like, um, you know, to the fact that I actually have seven books that, that I published 
Oh, man, so just you, like, you were holding back on three of them. <laughs> yeah, well, so those first four were, were in the health. They were nonfiction. They're in the health and wellness field. And hell, um, they were just skinny, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. do they even count? <laughs> Can you really but, call yourself an author? Yeah, well, that's how I that's how I feel sometimes. Impost, imposter syndrome, right? So yeah, you got to be the, proud of that. Not a lot of people can say they publish a single book, and you have seven books published. That's phenomenal. Yeah, that's it's it, it is it's it's pretty cool. And, and um, I kind of shifted like my the last book I wrote was called. And here's the funny thing is that it's called Pasture PT Test, and it's a book about how to pass the Air Force, uh, you know annual and semi-annual fitness exam uh and what i had what i did was because it was my last year in the, in the air force uh, in, the, in the missouri air national guard i felt like i had to do something to contribute before i got out and so what i did was i would write an article every month for the whole year that i was that i had left helping people you know because i had been doing this for so long i focused it on passing the fitness the physical fitness exam and those articles I put together and published a book. And that is actually like, even though I don't, I don't write necessarily write nonfiction or I don't write these health and wellness books anymore. That book, Pasture PT Test, uh, is my bestseller. Like it sells, like I sell a copy probably at least one every day. Wow. That's phenomenal. Definitely, yeah. And it's definitely something to be proud of. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. It's like, I, I switched over and started writing fiction and started writing these, you know, I, I have an kind of an idol is uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who wrote 100 Years of Solitude. He wrote Love in a Time of Cholera. Uh, both of those books, I think, were in like an Oprah's book club. Uh, he passed away within the past few years. But he was really um, when I started getting into reading uh fiction i always i always thought that i should read nonfiction. i should always be learning stuff i didn't think about taking something because it was i didn't think of leisure reading i didn't think of that i should read something because it's beautiful or because it's entertaining i always thought that i should read something that would help me out and that i should learn and, and benefit me not thinking that reading something reading literature would benefit me but I always, once I, once I did start reading and I, I, I kind of came across his writings and the style that he wrote in, I always kind of was, you know, fell in love with it. And one day I decided like, I want to write, um, well, I started listening to Stephen King, um, a book he wrote on writing called on writing. And one of the things he talks about is if you want to become a, um, writer a voracious writer you have to be a voracious reader and so he encouraged me to read to read a lot more and i started reading more fiction and i started to realize like i really like this uh genre called magical realism and just one day i thought of a character who like i kind of give away the secret here but the secret is her blood spills into a batch of chocolate that she makes and then all the people who ate these chocolates reap this benefit uh that she has uh, hidden in her chocolates from her from the passion her passion laced uh, uh, blood that that fell into the chocolates and that was and I just one day I just decided I'm gonna try and write this and I wrote it out and I banged it out in 25 days uh, this book I've called uh, Los Chocolates de Esperanza de Amante and it's about her and her chocolates and what happens and and uh, that's when I I'm, I found myself in what people call a flow state. I didn't know. I've heard people talk about it, but I didn't know what it was. And that's when 
I was just like in the zone writing this book. And like I said, I wrote, I wrote it in 25 days and that was my first. And I have a series of that started. That was the first of a series. And I have a series of four books. I published three of them. I'm working on publishing the fourth and I'm publishing a short story right now. And so between that and uh, writing on medium, uh, publishing stories and articles. And like I said, somebody, somebody said, I'll never have stuff to write about, you know, not write about now that I'm going to be a father. And I've already started writing about being a father and, you know, my son's not even here yet. Right. But yeah, you, you know, if anybody's looking or interested, you find me on Amazon in under David Soto Jr. You'll find me. That's, you'll find where, that. the, that's where they'll find all the books. All the books will be there. Yeah. So David Soto Jr. on Amazon. Yeah, you look at David Soto Jr. on Amazon. If you look up uh, anybody who wants to read my blog, on it's David Soto Jr. on Medium. Okay, I I found a site called uh, davidsotowrites.com. <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my that, that was my website, and it still is my website. But I uh, you know it, I've been publishing a lot on Medium, so I don't know if I'm going to keep that website up or keep or what I'm going to do because. More traffic goes to the articles that I publish on a third party than the articles that I publish on my own website. So I'm trying to figure out what I do. But definitely there's links to everything on my own author web- website, of course, David Soder writes. Cool. I'll make sure I put that in the notes as well. Um, and you're still – so you're blogging on a regular basis? Yeah, blogging. I'm trying to see if I can make any money doing it. Like I said, I, I with my son coming and not knowing what to do, whether I should fall back on my trade that I – have been trying to not do for years or keep falling. You know, it's like the Godfather, Godfather three. And he's like, just when I thought I was out, it pulls me back in. And well, heating and air conditioner for the past 20 years, just when I thought I was out, it pulls me back in. And so I'm trying to avoid, uh, not getting a job in heating and air, but it's, it's, it's going to give, it's going to pay me the best and I'll find, you know, I, I need benefits. So, uh, I'm looking, but if I can get a jump in book sales or, or write on, you know, medium pays you, if people read your articles, Medium pays you. So um, I know of successful people who write on Medium. So I'm just trying. If push comes to shove, uh, I'm not going to have any problem uh, with my skills and experience to get a job. But I'm trying to see what I can do as far as uh, be, you know, being an author. So I'm trying to publish another short story to add to it. will be my eighth publication on Amazon. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you know, in my mind, it doesn't have to be an either or, right? I mean, maybe you go back because you do get the benefits. It's a trade you're familiar with. And then you're writing on the side as your passion. Right. And that's why I actually turned down a pretty nice gig. Uh, very recently, um, it was kind of a big decision to make to turn out and turn it down. But because of the commute, it would have taken away from a spending time with my new family, and b it would take away from time from writing. So like if I can find a job that, you know, that if I can find a job in heating and air that's going to pay well and, you know, decent and, and, and give me the benefits I need, uh, that's close by, then it still allows me time to work on my books and work on my writing as well. So I'm definitely looking for something that I'm and keeping, definitely keeping in mind that I can uh, do both. Yeah. Awesome. Tell us about your podcast. Um, obviously I like to talk, and I, I can I've always thought that I, I, I speak better than I can write. I can't write as fast as I can speak. And so I always thought that I, I would need a podcast or, or of some sort. The technology wasn't there to make it 
uh, easy enough for me. So I put it off and put it off. And that's why I have this, <laughs> my Blue Yeti microphone. I've owned it for a long time, even though I wasn't uh, podcasting yet. I always had the microphone. I did, I was on other people's podcasts for the past. I have been on a guest uh, for several years on other people's podcasts. But I finally found a, me- a, a podcasting medium called Anchor that was like, just makes it so easy. And I don't do any editing, so I just turn on the mic and record, and I talk, just talk about. I was gonna be specific, and I was like, uh, you know, I was gonna have a theme and everything, uh, but I just decided to name my podcast after me, you know, the David Soto Jr. podcast, and just talk about um, just just me, and hopefully that you know, I like to say that I'm going through my own struggles, and I'll talk about them, talk about my points of view. And if they help other people that are going through the same thing, uh, great. So be it. Some people have said, like, I'm just the average guy's podcast. Uh, I just talk about, you know, I don't have this big, huge, thriving business. I don't, I can't set an example that way. I, I'm not a, I can't cre- be like a, a best-selling author podcast or, you know, I'm, I'm just me. I'm just a guy struggling and trying to make it through, dealing with my own demons. Uh, I have a goal to uh, sell a million books and to buy just a uh, ranch in Colorado. And that's my big goal. And so this uh, podcast is me documenting my way as I make, as I get to that point in, in my life where I can do that. That's awesome. How long have you been doing the podcast? How many episodes do you have out? Uh, I'm, episode 42, I think was the last one, 41 or 42. Uh, I've been doing it for about a year and okay. I took a, I took a big break when I was dealing with all of this uh, most recent, like, serious bout of depression. I couldn't bring myself to create, uh, to, to get on the microphone and do anything. So I, I took a break for a while, but I came back, and now I dropped one episode a week. Wow, that is a lot. Uh, one thing I would say I love about your podcast, unlike mine, I found yours on YouTube as well with video. So I watched a couple of them, and... Uh, you know, one was right out of your van. Uh, I yeah. thought that was awesome. Just like checking you out with your headset on in your van. I thought that was great. And then another one was, uh, I don't remember where you were, but, you know, completely different setting, more like a typical in-home studio or something. Do you have a favorite episode? Oh, of my own podcast. Yes. I would say, I'd say one of my favorites is probably the truth about van life. And I talk about, basically I talk about that it, it's hard and how hard it is. And it, essentially what I covered with you in, in this recording is how that you have to face your own demons. You can't run away. And that's probably one of, one of my most popular ones because I, you, probably because I used the hashtag van life in the title, but um, it, that's one of my, one of my favorite ones. And I ain't say that's the one that comes to mind. So there were uh, two that stuck out to me just because of my personal interests and so forth. One, obviously, being uh, you spoke about the stigma of mental health. Oh, that's right. And and then the second one, and and by the way, just uh, may, and maybe that's why I had a sense of how hard you are on yourself, because I watched just uh, a couple of different episodes, and at least one you were like, see, see, look at that, look at how stupid I am. I'm supposed, to, I should know these words. 
And uh, even though a lot of it was in jest, it it seemed like you were kind of hard on yourself there too. Uh, and the the uh, second one that I I jumped on to was uh, the one about racism, and racism will always be there. Any thoughts about those two uh, podcasts? Yeah, that's why I thought so many people lose their lives from depression and suffer from depression and they don't get help or don't seek help because they don't want, because it's, they think that it's, uh, some sort sort of weakness. I mean, we can, and, and I want to, that's why when, you know, the, the pre pre recording interview, you, you make sure you ask if you were sure that nothing was off limits and no, nothing is off limits. I don't, you know, I respect, you know, other people's privacy and I respect this. There are things that are off limits, but I want to talk about it and I want to make it as common thing to talk about as, as going to the gym. Like people, right. people talk about a gym and going to the gym and how much they want to work out and train. And that's for aesthetics. That's just for looking good. And, you know, not to mention, we don't even talk about health, like physical health. And let's, let's look at our blood pressure. Let's look at our blood sugar. Let's look at our, our A1Cs. Like people, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about those things, but more people just talk about you know, having a nice butt and having six pack abs. And then we have people that, that actually get into the, the health of it and they want to be healthy and they want to have, not have heart disease, not have cancer. And, you know, they talk about that health and there's a lot of people that talk about that part, but no, n- not very many people talk about mental health, which is all in case in this same, you know, your rock hard abs are, are in, in your nice butt are on the outside. Talk about what's on the inside. We talk about your blood pressure and, and, and how you're controlling your, your cholesterol and all this stuff. But d- don't forget that our brains, our minds is also inside of this physical body that, w- that we try to take care of so much. And to be to talk about mental health is to talk about health and I want them to be synonymous. And so I just, you know, decided that I'm going to put it out there and I'm not going to. And it was hard. I got those articles that I've written about, about depression and about suicidal thoughts. I've had those written for a long time. It's just that I didn't want to get the crap, you know, the, the, or the I didn't want to be looked down upon for uh for having those thoughts or feelings and, and publishing them so I, I it just took me a while to to work up the courage and i and the fact that it that i had to work up courage in order to publish those articles says a lot and i want to help fight against that to, so that it's just as common to talk about as as anything else right that's awesome yeah i mean that's one of the largest goals of this podcast is just to have guys sharing their stories, saying it's okay. It's okay that, you know, you described yourself as this huge guy who, who is crying and, and right. it's okay. Guys cry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and we got to be okay with that and talk about that and talk about the depression. The other one that stuck out to me was racism. And I'm guessing the, are you Hispanic? Yeah, yeah, my family is. I'm like I'm half second, half third generation Mexican. Okay. So I I have two grandparents that came over from Mexico, and two and and uh, two grandparents where their parents came over from Mexico. So, uh, um, I do you that, speak Spanish? 
I speak Spanish and I, uh, I I speak like decent Spanish and and I had to start studying it. I started studying it at the age of thirty. Wow! Um, Holy yeah. smokes! Because yeah. I noticed that the Spanish words you used in the interview, which weren't many, but like the title of your book and so forth, pretty much rolled off your tongue as if you were a a Spanish speaker. So can you talk at all? And this gets a little heavy, even though we were kind of getting lighter here. But how about the intersection between mental health? And being of Mexican descent, oh, you know, well, a person of color with a mental illness. Yeah, that's 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 a good. You're a really good interviewer because you think of things <laughs> like that's well, that's you. a that's a hot topic. Like that is something like there is you know the word is machismo. Like, yeah. uh, so it's um it's definitely something that we don't. You know, I, I, if I say we, I'm I'm really generalizing, but it, it's even. Uh, it's even so to the point where uh, it's joked about and you know, like, you know, you don't, we don't talk about those things. You know, there, there's a, there's a company called me too that, that they just, their whole job is to publish funny memes and funny videos. And, and they always put out stuff like, no, yeah, you know, you know, we don't talk about that stuff. And, um, and it affects people's lives. It really does. And, and to be, here in the United States is one thing, but in, in Mexico, like there's so much, uh, machismo that, you know, you can see that even people who are just even to be homosexual is, 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 you know, to there's, so, it's so macho that you, it's almost, it's like the United States 50 years ago in present day Mexico. It's, it's, you, you don't want to talk about mental health. It's not okay to, to, to be gay. It's not, it, it's just, um, and so you have people who are hiding, right? They're hiding them true selves because they're trying to put on this facade of this tough guy, um, or the strong willed person or whatever the case is. And so they're not being honest and open about their feelings. And this has an impact on people their entire lives. Um, and then what happens is then they have offspring and they pass on those, those, you know, you, you child's crying, why are you crying for, what are you crying? You know, and you know, because the, especially if you're a boy and you're not supposed to cry. And then if you're this tough macho, you know, SOB, and you want your son to be a certain way, heaven forbid that your son is gay. Um, it's just, it's really tough. And I don't know how to, I don't know if that's something that I can tackle or try to fix, but it's definitely, I, all I can do is set an, set an example. And especially with a son on the way, I definitely, uh, that's my biggest priority. And that's why I'm kind of glad that I am, uh, you know, 44 and going to have my first child at 44 because I definitely was not ready. And, it, um, you know, until now, yeah. I don't think I, I, I would have been able to set a good example with all these uh, things that I was dealing with myself. Right. Well, you've done so much introspection and learning about yourself and seeking out support and acknowledging that you need support. Uh, I, yeah, I think you're going to be a phenomenal father. So so back to to the Mexican piece. What about within families? Do you think it's okay to say behind closed doors, hey, I think I have depression? Or do you think it's so, especially as a male, like you can't even share that in the home? If you're a, you know, a 20-year-old still at home and you're male, like, no, 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 you don't talk depression. I think that, no, 
nobody wants to admit that their life isn't perfect. And so if you're someone's son or offspring, you know, offspring and you want to say something like, uh, I think something's wrong. I think I have some issues, you know, like, uh, you know, it, they may get ignored or, you know, passed on or looked on as if it's just a phase or, uh, you know, everybody has this. And, and so what I see is, you know, no, nobody wants to take it seriously. Nobody wants to admit to it, admit that something's wrong with them or that they did something wrong. And so everybody holds it in. And, uh, what I see in my family is a lot of sad people, a lot of hurt and sad people that carry some stuff with them for their, their whole life. Uh, most of it until old age when they just don't care anymore. But I, you know, I could speak like my grandfather as I look now, my grandfather was definitely, you know, he was one who came from Mexico. Um, and he worked every day of his life until he finally was old enough to retire. Uh, but we live with them. And that's one of my books that I'm going to write is that for four years while my mother went to nursing school, uh, we lived with my grandparents and I live with this grumpy man for four years who come home from work at four o'clock every day on the dot. And I could hear Chevy Impala, you know, pull up in through the driveway in our Los Angeles homes. And I knew that, man, this grumpy guy is going to come in the house now. And he just didn't want anything. He wanted everything had to go his way. And it, it was hard to be a child to live in that house. So I couldn't imagine what it was like for my mother who had to, who, who lived in his house her entire uh, childhood. For me, it was, it was hard to do it for four years. And, uh, you know, as he got older, he got a lot softer. Uh, but I always had some resentment f- towards him uh, for just how grumpy and mean he was. And I think that has a lot to do with what he held inside, what he had to deal with, you know, as a man growing up as a boy, you know, in Mexico and coming to to the United States and try to make a a, a, a better life. And we nobody knows anything about his childhood or, or what he's went through or or any of his tough times because he kept it all in. Right, right. So are there ways that, I'm curious, does the church play a part when dealing with mental illness? Is there the idea of just go to church, just pray it away, any of those feelings? I don't know. I don't know for certain. I'd I'd be speculating. The only thing is like very, you know, Latin America is very Catholic, so... Anything that comes with the Catholic, you know, the for us, the church, we, you know, as general as different generations, as generations progress, some of us, you know, some of them aren't as Catholic. And so I look at like my parents, you know, that baptized me Catholic, but then we kind of stopped going to church and it didn't kind of, kind of faded away. So right. maybe with the strictness as it is, as if from previous generations, the more Catholic, or more the more uh, devout they are, the more strict they are uh, with certain things, especially anything that's beyond what they consider normal. Right. Um, so. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you talking about that as well. Yeah, no sweat. So before we wrap up, David, I want to ask you uh, what kind of suggestions, advice, pieces of wisdom you would have for any man who's listening or anybody really who's listening out there that may be struggling right now. Uh, I guess the first thing I would say is don't be afraid 
to get some help. And I, and, and I'd say I'd, if I were to make up a number, I would say, yeah, you could probably get things sorted out on your own, but it would probably take 10 times as long. Right. So, so if it's going to take you 10 years to work out your, your stuff, um, maybe you could have get it, got it done in a year with actual professional help. Those are all made up, made up numbers, but you know, do you get my drift? Like it's, it, it it's almost, it's very unlikely that you're going to, you're going to get the help, you know, get to the level that you need to get to by yourself. Yeah. And I could have attributed, I, I could have seen this, you know, in hindsight, you look at stuff, but I, as a heating and air conditioning technician, right. I've always, I always asked for help. I wasn't ashamed or afraid to ask for help. And every time somebody came out on a job and because of something I couldn't figure out and I would say, I, you know, I need your help. Send somebody out here to help me figure it out. I can't figure this out. I always was able to find what was wrong. I was always able like, and that person wasn't necessarily the one to say, oh, here it is. But that person helped me, right? That person helped me. He brought his point of view. He brought his perspective. He brought his information. And with it, I was able to identify like, oh, it's this. And then click and find it. And boom, I found the problem. And that's the difference, right? I can sit there and scratch my head and maybe I'll get it. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll be there till late at night troubleshooting and trying to figure out and I'll have to get lights out and set them up and I'll be troubleshooting in the dark. But if I call and get help, I'll get it done 10 times faster. Yeah, great. So I, I really like the analogy to your work setting and saying the same thing with mental health, right? Reach out and get that help. You can struggle year after year. I think, I think one uh, data point talks about many people who live for like 10 years, might even be the average, um, before reaching out for help. But if you know you need it, get the help. That's what I hear you saying, and I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, David, thank you so much for your time. Thank you again. I know you don't want to hear it for your service to the country. Uh, I am excited for you, a whole new stage of life. Good luck with your writing. Keep those books coming out. Keep the blog posts coming out. And uh, make sure you stay healthy. Sure thing, y'all. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. Please know that if you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the United States, you can text to 741741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you're a man who has experienced depression and would like to be interviewed for the show, please reach out to me on Twitter at AlLevin18. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files.